Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Wisden Cricket Weekly podcast. I'm Yasrana and today I'm delighted to be joined by the editor-in-chief of the Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine, a delighted fan of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, <laughs> Phil Walker. You still buzzing? Cloud nine and a half at the minute. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I will go into it if you require me to, but maybe we'll just gloss over that and recognise that it was a victory for everyone with a soul. <laughs> anyway, our other guests... Joining us for the first time, uh, I looked this up on your Wikipedia page, Daisy, part of the Warwick, no, captain of the Warwick University's Victorious University Challenge team in 2006-07, acclaimed author, and most importantly, a massive cricket fan, Daisy Christodoulou. Thanks for coming along. Cheers, guys. Um, and last but not least, you'll recognise her voice straight away from Test Match Special Channel 5 and BT Sport, Alison Mitchell, great to have you with us. Hello, yes. I too read about Daisy being a university challenge winning captain and immediately felt massively intimidated yeah. about coming in and chatting cricket with her. Oh, it was, it was a fallow year, I oh. think, 06 7. <laughs> what, like, last time Spurs won the league? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, well, let's start with Spurs, actually. Uh, Phil, what's your moment of the week? Well, obviously, 95 minutes in last night at the City of Manchester, that is obviously my moment of the week. But, but at the risk of taking this down the wrong kind of rabbit hole, I'm going to leave that alone. My moment of the week, there's actually been a handful, uh, but I was at Lord's on Wednesday last week for the Wisdom Dinner, um, the launch of the Armanac, of course, and I was sitting next to six foot six of Australian genius Jeffrey Lemon. Now, um, he is an outlier. He is an unusual cat, uh, and he has written uh, a stunning piece of work, Steve Smith's Men, Australian Cricket's Greatest Downfall. He wrote it in about five minutes after Cape Town. Turned it around by midsummer last year um, and he won the book of the year. He won the Wisdom Book of the Year. And then he followed it up three or four days later with the MCC Society Book of the Year. So he's, he's flown over here from Australia, done the double, <laughs> picked up a few poles, McGrath style at, at Lords, and then turned around and headed off. Um, I know him personally. Uh, he is a diamond of a man and it's a very, very special piece of work that he's put together here. So I was absolutely thrilled for him. Uh, and also just generally when you're at Lords and it's early April and uh, everyone's there in their finery and so on, you do kind of get a sense that it, the show is beginning again. So it's got that kind of sense of renewal this, this week. You know, we're here at the Oval again. The sun's shining yet again. First class cricket's kicked off. We've had a couple of good rounds of games. It's just feeling like the season is starting to bubble away. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit about the football match. Um, <laughs> so obviously everyone knows that uh, the, the game was decided by a 
by the video assistant referee VAR. Um, and it's prompted a few interesting conversations we've had comparing it to technology in cricket. And Daisy, you had some interesting thoughts about the philosophy of video technology when it comes to officiating in sport. Yeah, definitely. So I think there are genuine, it does bring up really genuine philosophical sort of questions about what, how do you make decisions? Like what is the, the rationale for making decisions? And I think also it brings in really interesting things around almost like branching histories. You know, like, what is it? You can almost see different futures unravelling as, as you're watching. And you very much had that in the football last night with both the VAR decisions. And for the for the one that was given, the goal with Lorente's handball, you've got the referee going over and, you know, flicking back and forth, rock and rolling. I was on that. I was, I was saying that. I was rock saying that. Roll. Rock and roll. He's rock and rolling. None of the football fans don't know what you're talking about. Kuma, rock you're and on roll, screen eh? now. Rock and roll. <laughs> um, and he was rock and rolling back and forward. And, um, yeah, you sort of just see two different histories almost potentially waiting to happen and again you had that with us the second one where it was given and they're not given rescinded you almost have it you know you can see the headlines being written and it brings back sort of moments in cricket history famously the the jones the jones catch off harmison uh kasparovich which we know now if there was var wouldn't be given uh, another one <laughs> there's var in the cricket yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> DRS, was, yeah. was drs at that time and also the, um, the the one I always think of is Graham Smith with that run chase at Edgebaston in 2008. And Monty Panesar, I think, pretty much had him sort of plumb in front, wasn't given. And that's a real branching history because you think then Vaughan doesn't resign. Uh, then what happens next? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can almost see that moment where different histories start to Cricket happen. is littered with them. Yeah. Weirdly, yeah. tonight I'm yeah. going back to my cricket club for its kind of pre-season yeah. dinner and Derek Pringle is our guest mm-hmm. of honour. Now, mm-hmm. I know Derek a little bit and I'm actually doing the Q&A with him. He will be mentioning within five minutes the 92 World Cup, World Cup yeah, final. Yeah, yeah. He will be guaranteed. Yeah. 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 Two absolute stone-dead uh, decisions yeah. that Buckner turned yeah. down. Interestingly, he'd actually uh, adjudicated against Ramiz Raja a minute ago earlier. And so mm. he, he had given Pringle probably his one for the day mm. and wasn't going to give any more. Mm. Pringle writes in his book, his brilliant book, Pushing the Boundaries, about cricket in the 80s. He writes specifically about his friend's... Uh, favoured parlour game of what would what would have happened to Derek Pringle if <laughs> yeah. you know the Liz Hurley marriage the Strictly Come Dance and all of that sort of stuff as yeah. it was of course Del, you know he yeah. took he took his path and yeah. you got, it's these kind of sliding yeah. doors moments that yeah. you get in cricket yeah. Yeah. you mentioned 05 Edgbaston yeah. England would have been 2 naught down they'd have lost Absolutely. that series 4-0 yeah. Vaughan yeah, yeah, yeah. Would not have been Michael Vaughan. Flintoff, yeah. you never know what path he would have That's taken. Right. It's fascinating how it would have played out. No parade out. in Trafalgar That's right. Square. That's right. Yeah. And we always like to look at it as being those tense, uh, you know, decisive moments. We like to think of them as being all about the character of the personality or the mental strength. You know, Raheem Sterling having the composure to finish. But what you realise is a lot of the, the things that determine these things are totally contingent. Yeah. Like that Lorente handball is so fine. And we were taught, you know, some of the runouts that you see as well in cricket, they are so such fine margins. You can't put that down to a mental strength or even superior skill or ability. You have to sort of think these are just almost, almost in some way, sort of quite random chance moments. Yeah, but I think yeah. sports people yeah. are, they refute the notion of luck yeah. because it runs counter to all of their preparation and all of their kind of psychological yeah. uh, maxims that they're dra- you know, drumming themselves mm. into into all the time, you know. The harder you practice, the luckier you get. It's a, re- it's a rejection of the, the notion of luck and randomness well, and chance. Well, but of course, we can yeah. allow it because yeah. we, we're watching from Well, afar. and Ed Smith writes really well about it in the book. He's got a book about luck. And he, he comes to that conclusion that maybe, maybe there is such a thing as luck. And I think the more you get technology in the game, 
the more you realise some of these things, they're just really fine margins and it's really hard to attribute them to a, a skill or mental strength or whatever. Maybe it is just 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 very fine margins. As soon you as cricket becomes as soon as cricket becomes business, which it has more and more now, and, and guys' salaries and livelihoods are, are riding, as you said, these massive yeah. decisions, massive moments, then that's when technology had to start being used. When it was brought in initially as an aid for the viewer on television, then the clamour becomes, well, hang on, we need to be getting these decisions right because the public is seeing them as wrong as judged by the umpires and so it becomes an inevitability that they have to become part of the game however the sort of beauty of that is that actually still DRS decisions and for the odd VR, VAR decision can be got wrong because there's still a human who's got to judge the pictures and even you know arguably Joss Butler's man cadding yeah. in my view should not have been given out but actually you know I think there's a lot to be done on DRS a whole different chat to be had there's a lot to be done on the way that mancads should be judged by the way the law is written in that case but yeah there's always an element of human error absolutely and the the famous one i remember before drs was i think it was mark taylor uh and australia were chasing a fairly low total against england in the melbourne test in 98 and uh it was was a run out yeah the dean headley game no we didn't england england didn't win it oh okay england didn't win it the australia were chasing a 200 odd total and it looked like England were going to get the wickets. And Mark Taylor got a hundred odd and he could he should have been run out. And it went to the TV umpire. It's Mi- Michael Slater. Slater. It's Michael Slater, Slater at Sydney. Sorry. It's the game it's, afterwards. Yes, the game when after. England, if they'd won it, it would have been 3-2. It would have been a 2-2 two, two. Two, 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 draw. Two, yeah. It would have been unheard of and, back and then. And it was a run out. And everyone on telly could see it was a run out. And it goes to the third umpire. And the third umpire doesn't give it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark so, Butcher, who was playing in that game, yeah. still talks about it to this day. Yeah. He got 120 out of 100, uh, 200 yeah. all out. Well, it was very close. It's on the list of the, the famous Bannerman stat. Right. He nearly overtook Bannerman's right. record for highest percentage of completed innings by the end of it. So it was absolutely the innings that held the, 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 the glue of that innings that, together. So without that, yeah, you say it's too old. And that, that as you mm. say, that was technology was there. But there's the human element of interpreting yeah. it. Still got to be used in the right way Absolutely. and interpreted Absolutely, in yeah. the right way. Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you said earlier, Alison, I think there's a philosophical question about what's the most important thing in sport. Is it that we get the right decisions or is it uh, the, the experience of the supporter, experience of the fan? So uh, I think it's more of a deal in football because the feeling of scoring a goal for a fan mm. is such a uh, euphoric a moment. Of, yeah, it? exactly. You could say the same for a wicket. Exactly. Though, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that with technology in cricket, uh, well, in test cricket, when you have DRS, um, you, there is something in you, the back of your mind, that's like, well, that might still not be given out. So that feeling of elation isn't quite as high as it would be. Mm. And I think that is actually quite a big deal because that's the mo- one of the most yeah. fun bits of watching sport. Well, whatever happens if the World Cup final is you know, won in inverted commas mm. by the team bowling and they, they bowl the side out, whenever that final wicket falls, you know that there's, you know, arguably, what you know, unless the stumps are completely splattered, even then they're going to check, check for the no ball, ball aren't they? <laughs> so, I mean, there's always going to be that moment of, yes, you know, it's finished, it's over, yeah. or is it? And, actually, and from a commentator's perspective as well, actually, and I was listening on Five Live last night, John Murray was the BBC commentator doing that game for radio, and you, how do you call it? Because I suppose you call it as you see it, and you always sort of want to give the big moments and you're thinking in the back of your mind because you do, right? You know, archive clip, like this is going in the libraries yeah. forevermore. But actually, you might give the big moment and then, well, hang on, they're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> and, it and it sort of deflates the, the moment. So then you sort of go up again. I don't know, it's, it's a really weird yeah. conundrum to work out it's how to so, play it when so, you're actually so calling true. these moments. And, and it's, it, to be fair, there's always been a little bit of it in football and cricket. So do you remember Glenn McGrath, t- clean bowling Michael Vaughan? Uh, Old Trafford, and it was a no ball. Yes. And half the ground, were, uh, all the Aussies were up <laughs> and celebrating, weren't they? And that was a very late, late, late 
late no ball call. And football, I must say, I always being a West Ham fan, uh, have that sort of, even when we score a goal, you think, is it offside? Just mm. check, just look. <laughs> but yeah, VAR and DRS have added a whole new element to that. Well, so do, does it does yeah. it add, do we think, ultimately? Because it's sort of, yeah. in a sense, you could say it gives you two bites of the cherry yeah. at Euphoria or, mm. in one case, mass mm. euphoria for half the spectators mm. and then complete overturn and sort of derision and elation from the others and utter devastation from those who were just a second ago on their feet. So actually, I don't know, it's emotions. Are those emotions necessarily bad? Uh, Probably not. Absolutely. Yeah, and it it also, it comes down to what what is the decision? Because you can say, well, we want to get to the right decision according to the laws of the game. But then obviously, historically, the laws of the game also say the umpire's decision is final. So, you know, what do you do? Do you want it to be, have that decision on field? And I think you do, it does change things. Mm. Now, I would have the technology. Yeah. And I would always say go for the, the technology. Um, umpires are off the field as well, aren't they? Yeah, today? and it, not, it is crazy. We've all thing. seen it, those situations where there is just a horrible decision and 10 seconds later, everybody in the ground knows it and they they have to carry on. Yeah. You, I feel like you have to do something about that, the more sport professionalising the money riding on it. So I think you have to have the technology, but nothing, there's always trade-offs. Mm. That you know, and there, there is a trade-off. You've got to accept that. It has changed the game, whether for better or worse, but there's a change there. Well, that's yeah. really fascinating stuff. Um, Alison, what was your moment of the week? Oh, mine is um, away from the the professional game, but um, I caught up this week with a young lad called Billy Cookson, who's a a minor counties cricketer, played for Wiltshire, went over to Australia to play some club cricket like any youngsters his age might do. But about a week after he arrived, this is last October, he was involved in a horrific uh, car accident head-on with a bus. And he was left with, well, what have been life-changing injuries. I actually went over to visit him in hospital when I was in Australia, in Melbourne, because I couldn't believe that in January he was still in hospital, like living there, miles away from home. Um, Happily, this week, because he's moved out of hospital where he'd been living and doing rehab, um, to his own independent unit, still doing rehab, but this week he hit a cricket ball with a bat in hand for the first time since his accident. So posted a video of himself on Instagram. The, the injury that I think he's having to manage the most, not least sort of learning to walk again as in strengthening his legs because he lost about 10 centimetres of bone in his thigh, broken fibias, tibias. His knees are basically held together by metal. So in terms of weight bearing, like that took an awfully long time to get out of a wheelchair to be able to you know walk again and be independent in that sense. But um, he's had to have an elbow fusion, so his right elbow got completely smashed. So in terms of his cricket and holding a bat, he's now got a locked right elbow. So fortunately, he would say for him, he was a right-hander. So he's still got use of his left hand, that, that, that top hand. Yeah. And yeah, on Instagram, he was standing, I think it was in his physio's uh, room where he's been doing his rehab. And just a bit corridor cricket, really. But just standing there swinging the bat. And I can tell you, he's still got that high front elbow. <laughs> and yeah, had a chat with him this week. He's in really high spirits. But it lifted my spirits to know that he's got bat in hand. And he is determined to play cricket again in whatever form you know that may be going forwards. Oh, so good really, on you, Billy. Really great heartwarming story, that. Yeah. This week's been all about World Cup squads, really. Um, lots of teams have announced them. So let's start with England. Uh, all the headlines going into the squad announcement are about Joffre Archer. Will he be in the squad? Will he not be? Um, in the end, England have probably done the most diplomatic thing. They've not included him in the preliminary 15-man squad, but they've included him in the 17-man squad for the Pakistan and Ireland series, uh, giving him a real chance to get into the squad. Um, there were some headlines before uh, yesterday saying that some of the bowlers 
weren't happy with him being given a chance. They thought it might be unfair. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think the headlines as we saw them were sort of taken out of context, really. I think some of them were a little bit sort of, yeah, a little bit unfair in, in the headlines. Um, you know, I certainly read one in one newspaper and went, oh, did he really say that? And then read the whole article and was like, well, okay, no, he didn't quite didn't really say that. Didn't quite say that. Um, I think what the, the bowlers in the team are, are doing is sort of skirting around, obviously, you know, protective of their places and just trying to get convey when asked, because, yeah, all these questions are being put to them. Um, that, yeah, harsh for anybody who has, you know, worked for three years in a squad or, or helped over the you know, recent years to get England up to the number one position and then lose their place. Mm. That is competitive sports. I mean, it could, it could be any player who might have been forcing their way into this squad at the last minute. Just so happens that this is a, a player who up until now hasn't been eligible for England. So therefore he hasn't been pushing, you know, in and around that that England squad. So for me, I I just feel that the selectors have done really what's the, the only thing that they could do and, and the right thing in this scenario because they clearly believe he's an X-factor bowler. Yes, of course, he's got pace. He's a brilliant athlete and he's deserving of, you know, being at that level. So, yeah, see how he goes in one day because we've not seen him play at one day international yeah, level you can't off. possibly pick a guy in my, in my view straight from domestic t20 into a world cup squad they've got this luxury of having five odis see how he goes the conundrum will be you know what's the if you like what's the tipping point for inclusion or non-inclusion mm. because what if actually he plays these five games and I don't know, how many wickets does he have to take to sort of justify inclusion? Or what if he actually doesn't translate T20 domestic skill to bowling a 10-over spell across a three-hour innings with the different you know, nuances that are required and for, for ODI cricket? Do you think that even if he doesn't go so well in the Pakistan series, they might still take a punt on him because they think he's so outrageously talented? Well, that that, that is eminently possible, but... I can you justify it, Phil? I mean, what 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 if he what if he goes, you know, and takes four wickets across five games, you know? Um, I don't think that's going to play out. I don't think he's going to go at sevens and over. I don't think he's going to be ineffective. I think uh, I agree with you 100% that England had no option but to play it like this, and it's the pragmatic approach, and it's also the respectful approach. But I would be surprised if it behind closed doors they've not already decided that Joffre Archer makes that 15. The question is. Um, firstly, obviously, the question is, am I right? I might be barking up the wrong tree. But if that is the case... The, it feels like that. But it it, it feels case, like it, it, yeah. Um, he, he, is, he is unusual. We've talked about him before. There are good judges coming out and saying he's as talented a cricketer, natural talented a cricketer as we've ever seen before. This is the kind of praise that the bloke is getting. Um, I remember Morgan as well, who is obviously key in making these decisions. Morgan said two or three years ago, the IPL is the hardest form of cricket that I play. Uh, and it was in kind of sort of flagrant rejection of county cricket at the time. It kind of played into his overall attitude towards the game. Um, but he believed that playing in front of 60,000 people every Tuesday night and every Thursday night um, was conducive to the challenges and pressures of playing international cricket. And, and Joffre Archer dominates the IPL. You, you look at his figures, he's always going at three and a half, four and over in a 20 over game when your boundaries are 50 yards. Um, that is his natural environment and he thrives in that tournament and he has the charisma to play in that tournament. I think England can't overlook this and I don't think they are overlooking this. It would be odd if they were to, I think, considering how Ed Smith has overseen the last 12 months or so anyway. Um, 
it really hurts to say that Liam Plunkett's under pressure, but I think Liam Plunkett is under pressure. And I think, you know, Liam is, what, 34 now? And he's not quite as sharp as he was a year or two ago. Um, he got got whacked yesterday against uh, Les- yeah. Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire five yeah. overs for 54 at the last, mm-hmm. last I saw. Um, it feels awful to even identify anybody because of what they've achieved as a group. But... I think when push comes to shove, Arch will be in that team. Um, and just as it would have been disrespectful to have, to have brought him in uh, without having seen him in an England kit, uh, I think it's only a matter of time before he is confirmed in that side after those five games against Pakistan. Ultimately, I think every England supporter and I think everyone else who is in that England squad wants to see the strongest squad possible. And if Arch is going to strengthen England's World Cup chances... And yeah, that's competitive sport. You pick your best players, and if he's if he's deemed to be in the best fifteen white ball cricketers for ODIs, he he's got to play. The thing which I find interesting, and I feel like I'm still playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, is that what you're saying there about Archer performing in the IPL. I found it really interesting when reading about India's squad selection for the World Cup. I know we're going to talk about that in a moment as well. Is that their chief selector has specifically said we don't take IPL form into account. And that's sort of evident on, you know, some of the way that they've picked their squad. But if that's India saying that their own tournament, the IPL, they don't believe that's an indicator towards ODI form. Yeah. Are, we, are we getting it right or are we getting it wrong with well, Archer? I think there's a slight difference. I think that um, the way India are talking about it is like they're not taking into IPL form. Whereas I think Ed Smith's talking about... Um, IPL experience being an equivalent to international experience. So with yeah, that, with Joffre yeah. Archer, he's not actually played for England, but we can see that he he does have the bottle because he's done it in the IPL. And he said the same about Joe Denley. Actually, said he's not played in ODI for ten years, but actually he's played franchise cricket all around the world. And that kind of pressure. Yeah, the exactly. The debate reminds me a little bit of the one about Peterson playing in the Ashes in two thousand and five because that was Peterson's test debut. And he'd played, he'd been phenomenal in those ODIs. You talk about what should be the, the tipping point, if you like, for Archer to be included. Well, Peterson, he had a bunch of ODIs, didn't he, against South Africa. And then he played against Australia in the warm-up ODIs and was out of this world. And they said, right, let's put him in the team. In the end, effectively, they dropped Graham Thorpe for him. It was, yeah. Thorpe uh, had I mean, a back, didn't he? Yeah, and actually yeah. you could argue, actually, well, that Ian Bell was also in the mix too. I remember at the time, my preferred two of those three would have been Thorpe and Peterson. And I thought Bell got a bit lucky, really, to get into that side. But... What was interesting then, it was Peterson, again, had not played that format. Obviously, he played first-class cricket, but he hadn't played test match cricket. Uh, and he was qualifying, similar to Archer. And you look back now and you say, well, that was the right call. Um, and it, it yeah. becomes quite an elemental thing. I remember having conversations about Peterson. I remember one bloke who was, who'd played with him at Knotts said to me, he can hit any ball for four. And it sounded like a kind of a child's thing to say, but it absolutely gets to the to the nub of the matter. And Joffre Archer can do pretty much ev- anything on the cricket pitch. If we want to also just look at the stats, forgive me, but I, I brought him up. He's played 28 first-class games. He's taken four 10-wicket hauls already. Average is 23. Um, now, all right, Div 2, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they're still decent players. And in, fir- in, in one-day cricket, in, in you know, 50-over cricket, he averages just... A, economy rate just a tick over five now if you think that scores are regularly now 300 to 350 as a matter of course um you know and he takes his wickets at under 30 um in in 50 over cricket as well if you throw all of those stats into the the mix and then you consider the bloke's natural ability and his charisma 
and his big match temperament. Um, yeah. I think it's irresistible. Can I throw something else into this then? Keep throwing, because I'm, I'm battling with it myself. But would we be having the same conversations about Archer if he was any other player who, like I said at the start of the conversation, has you know sort of shot up in the reckoning suddenly and, and forced his way into the side? And you mentioned Kevin Peterson and the the similarities in terms of their qualification, their eligibility to play for England. How much of that is kind of at the heart of of this narrative that's being built up about disrupting a side and someone new and, and yeah. you know, com- coming so, in? Yeah. Do, 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 uh, yeah. do we, what I think people in cricket, cricket have a fundamental sort of issue yeah. with people who didn't you know grow up playing cricket in this country. How English are yeah, they? Yeah, and I think you're right. But I think what's really striking is actually. The difference between the Archer situation and the Peterson one is that I felt Thorpe was very unlucky back in 05. But I think there wasn't a sort of groundswell to keep Thorpe in the team because his experience then was construed as a negative because his experience had been in losing sides. So there were a lot of people saying, well, look, Thorpe's got mental scars. You know, all that generation got mental scars. We want to take on the Aussies with a fresh team who don't have that. Whereas the difference now is you've got that team of players who have built up England to number one in the world. So then it comes back to that, and Chris Wokes used that word, morally, which I think has been pulled out of context. But it comes back to almost a sense of fairness, doesn't it? Like, should you give something back to the guys who have got you there? But I would say you look at all high-level sport, and there is no room for sentiment like that. And you have it in a lot of different sports where you have time to qualify, and sometimes the qualification, you know, things can be can be a couple of years long. And you never end up with the same team at the end of it as the team that, that, that helped you get there. So I think it, is, it will be tough on whoever misses out. I think they'll, mm. they're, they're going to feel hard done by. But I would, yeah, I would probably have Archer in the, in the squad. Um, I also think that when you look at the culture of selection in England compared to other countries, it's quite interesting. So in England, we almost think, oh, what could go wrong with every selection? Well, he's only played 14 list A games, but look at the positives. Pakistan, we'll get onto them later. They announced their World Cup squad today. They picked a 19-year-old called Mohammed Hussain, who's played, what, five ODIs? Hasn't done that well in them. But he can bowl 90 miles per hour. He's really exciting. He could, in theory, win them a World Cup semi-final. And that's what they go on. And I think, I don't know, I, I just look at the way Pakistan do it. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out. But I think England could learn a lot from them. Yeah, the idea of having the you know, the X Factor mm. player, which has been and spoken saying, about yeah. a lot, hasn't you're not saying he's got a start. I mean, he's in a 15-man squad, so you know, just having the option. Yeah, you you alluded, uh, Alison, just a minute ago to um, the discourse around Archer and whether there was any relationship to where he was born and where he's, where he learned his cricket specifically. Um, if there is, I haven't sensed that, um, and. You could never have said that about Graham Hick. You could never have said that about Robin Smith or the the kind of the the kind of Caribbean diaspora at the mm-hmm. time. You know, De Freitas, Lewis, Gladstone Small, etc. Uh, you couldn't have said that around Peterson, and you couldn't have said that around Jonathan Trott either, who himself used to say, "When I'm scoring runs, I'm England's number three, and when I'm not, I'm the South African-born number three. Um, the Archer thing has been quite striking for the lack of discourse around that but maybe maybe I'm ignorant maybe I've missed it I don't know I'm I try and avoid spending too much time on social media so maybe there is a, a kind of murmur around that but it seems tell me tell me if I'm wrong on that but it seems like we have moved past mm. that and it's just more purely about picking someone sort of at the last minute who's going to break up this happy band of 15 who have worked so well together and, and gelled together as a group I'm going to tell you what if we're, if we're going to talk about sort of disrupting players who've gelled together as a group when we come on to talk about Australia's World Cup squad I mean, how much does the return of Smith and Warner going to disrupt this group who have, you know, in their case, they've just suddenly mm. come together and gone on, you know, their, their best run probably for the last four years, isn't it? Eight, yeah. eight wins in a row. And also, I'd say, compared to Peterson, certainly, Archer 
does seem, I mean, he gave an interview saying, I don't want to tread on anyone's toes. He does seem very aware of a lot of those those issues. Whereas at this stage in his career, I think Peterson had already, maybe had he already fallen out with knots or had some various the run-ins at that point. Yeah. So uh, compared to, to that, you would say Archer seems to be managing it quite well as well. Mm. So maybe yeah. that has a role to play. And there is a lovely feature on him in the magazine this month oh, as well, Joffrey Archer, oh. which I just, <laughs> just, just dropped that in there. No, I enjoyed that. I learned quite I learned a lot about him. Yeah, and it was that. actually, there were bits of it that were a little bit, you felt a bit sorry for him. He sort of said, the living away from home. Living yeah. away from home and how Chris Jordan is sort of his, 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 his family, family away well, from home. Chris, Chris Jordan's yeah. in the 17 uh, man score for the Pakistan series. He hasn't been in only for a long time. And yeah, I he's a great story as well, isn't he? That I, comeback. I wonder how mm. much of it is, is because Archer's in there and they want somebody who's really close and knows him well. Um, before we move on to other countries, Joe Denley is, is something that really sticks out. He's not played in ODI for 10 years. Um, Ed Smith said, we'll play what Ed Smith says in a second. Ed Smith talks about how he's uh, one of the leading spin bowlers in the country. And uh, well, this is what Ed Smith had to say. I'd also say that Joe Denley's attributes are unusual um, in that he's a genuine top order batter who can bat anywhere. So that's a, a, a very useful thing to have in a squad. And he's also one of England's leading spinners in white ball cricket, one of. So that combination in a squad, a 15-man squad, that's a pretty handy and he's a, he's a very good athlete and fielder. So that combination of skills is quite unusual, very unusual. You know, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything exactly analogous to that skill set. Um, so in terms of when you're thinking about if there was an injury on the day, what have you got covered there or whatever, someone like Joe Denley obviously brings... Uh, a wide array of gifts. What do you guys think about what Smith just said? So I am a big Joe Denley fan, oh. uh, partly because I've, I've I've seen him here at Surrey. He seems to like the Oval. Uh, I saw him. I was here and saw him take a hat trick and a century in the same match last summer. So I think he's r- really having a great moment in his career. I really like watching him play. But I st- would would I have him in an England World Cup squad given the other? other players available I'm not sure so you know I like him I think he's got loads going for him it's a really great late career renaissance but I think there are better white ball spinners <laughs> I just don't see how uh, he plays if the batsman's yeah, injured yeah, Hales yeah. plays if yeah. us, if Moeen or Rashida injured on the day of a play we still have five yeah. bowlers plus root absolutely and is he the yeah. third best that's it. Spin and you're saying, the country, you're saying probably not. Rashid is phenomenal as a spinner and, and, and as an ODI spinner gets in Moeen Ali's very similar to Denley but I would say better or much much um, better bowler, yeah, like yeah. not comparable. Um, and then also, as you say, if you really need a third spinner, you've got Joe Root, who is actually a, a, in ODI. You know, is capable. So, as much as I'm a fan of him and I've really enjoyed watching him play, I, I, I think it's a struggle to see how he gets into the squad, let alone the team. Phil, you mentioned Liam Plunkett being vulnerable in terms of Joffre Archer coming in. I feel like Joe Denley is mm. is just as vulnerable. So like you said, yes, if if a batsman is injured, you get that replacement batsman who comes into the squad. And no, yeah, how how does Denley ordinarily work his way into the eleven, mm. barring an injury? But I don't know. Maybe it's an, maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel yeah. as if he 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 could be someone who yeah, sort of is, is less easily missed out of a squad if, if yeah. Archer's to come in. Yeah, I personally would have gone for Liam Dawson. I think that when picking the, the backup players in the squad, players who aren't in your first eleven, I kind of think, what happens if it's the morning of the World Cup final and somebody gets injured? Mm-hmm. And I look at the England team and if Adil Rashid or Moeen Ali gets injured on the World Cup 
in the on the morning of a World Cup final. I want somebody who's reasonably reliable. And Liam Dawson, he's not he's not Andy Rashid, granted, but he he would probably bowl ten overs. He'll do a really good job. He's a good fielder and bats well, and has has got so much experience as a white ball bowler. Joe Denny's a very experienced player, but he's not a very experienced bowler. Before twenty eighteen, I think he'd only ever taken five list A wickets in England. Yeah, um, and, so and fourteen. Act- yeah, and yeah. I, I would add into that we talk about red ball cricket, white ball cricket, but white ball cricket there is still a difference between fifty over and T twenty, and. I feel like Joe Denley has been successful in the T20 format. And yes, you know, late in his career, he's had success in ODIs too. But you still feel with the T20, his bowling, it's been the variations, the changes. Actually, would you want him bowling 10 overs in, a, in, a, in an ODI international against some of the attacks, uh, some, of the, some of the batsmen you're going to see uh, this World Cup? I'm not so sure. Um, moving on to India. Uh, I guess the biggest news is that they've left out Rishabh Pant. Uh, he's outrageously talented. But as you guys were saying before we came on air, you were surprised to hear that he's only paid five ODIs. Personally, I think it's a really... I can see why they've done it, but it's a really conservative decision. Um, I saw some of the quick viz guys, Freddie Wild and Ben Jones, tweeting about it as the squad was announced. And they were saying that it's quite a conservative option, which I agree with. And I looked into uh, some stats about India's top three. So India's top three since the 2015 World Cup. Uh, so that's uh, Shikhar Dhawan, Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli have scored 42 ODI hundreds between them. Only England as a team has scored more than them. Australia scored 33, South Africa 33, New Zealand 28, Pakistan 29. So if you, if you think about it, India are going to be 200 for two quite a lot of time yeah. in the World Cup. Um, and if there are 15 overs to go, at number four, you want someone like Rishabh Pant who could score 150 of that last 10, 15 overs. Um, what do you think about about that decision? Yeah, I, I was surprised because India is, is one country you don't think of when it comes to conservatism. And I think, like like you, Daisy, sort of think, oh, Rishabh Pant's been around for a little while now, but it's maybe just because he has such a... Uh, a, a presence or an impact albeit sometimes it might be a fleeting presence but he comes on the field and as a spectator I want him to play just because there's going to be some kind of fireworks and some sort of entertainment okay that might not be exactly what the Indian management in this case want they're clearly looking for something a little more reliable and they've clearly come to that conclusion for the moment but um you know, I, was, I was looking at what Ricky Ponting had to say because he's coaching him in the IPL uh, at the moment. And he, he was as surprised. He thought that he would have been in India's starting 11, you know, let, let alone the, the squad. So he finds himself on the outside of that. And it's up to him now to kind of, you know, head down score runs for his IPL team and, you know, see what what transpires. But, um, yeah, India probably haven't managed to, you know, get up to those big ODI scores of late, have they? Like you said, they've got big hitters at the top. You know, they could be in real trouble if rather than 200 for two, they've actually, you know, 20 for two at, at one stage because have they got the, the beef down below who really can come and hit out? Ravi um, Jadeja, of course, is always a good pick because well, he and Ashwin had a lot of success here, didn't they, in the Champions Trophy when it had been a hot summer and pitches were spinning and there's evidence of maybe things going that direction already this season. Um, but Jadeja does have that ability to hit some big runs and swing the bat lower down the order but yeah I was surprised to see no pants I have to say yeah and especially when you we've got that memory of him obviously of hitting that six off the first ball <laughs> yeah um, you know when I saw him I thought oh he must have played 30 or 40 ODIs uh, in fact currently he's played nine test matches and only five ODIs and of course part of that is Dhoni Dhoni is not in the test team but he is in the ODI team still um, but you also think, uh, looking back at that, I, I, in a sense, I, I think it was a wrong, wrong decision too. But you can kind of see, I guess, why the selectors made it if they're if he has only played those five, and they've also tried out Kartik. They've, they've actually he's played more. Kartik's played more games since Pant made his ODI debut than Pant. So they clearly see something in Kartik, and they have played him as a batsman with Dhoni as keeper. So they've played him as a specialist batsman. 
And part of me thinks, you know, maybe a year, 18 months ago, if you're planning ahead to the World Cup, maybe the decision wasn't made now, maybe it's one that was made then. Um, and, and if they had fought 18 months ago, right, we want Pant to play, you then want to give him 20, 30 ODIs. You want to play him as a specialist batsman, even though Donny's your keeper. So he's got that experience of batting in the team and he finds his place. And I guess without that, and Kartik does have a, a record, I guess, as a finisher. Well, this is that's it, you their, see. That's their yeah. decision. And, and Kartik, for the last 18 months, has had an astonishing Indian summer. I actually just said that, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, in 2020 cricket as well, you know, and, and the, I think the way they are looking at it, is that they are putting two gnarled, round-the-block cricketers in Dhoni and Kartik to bat five and in six or six and seven, depending on the scale of a run chase, and getting it done through old-world experience as much as funkiness and being able to whack it over mid-wicket with your eyes closed. Mm. Um, I think if they didn't have such a terrifyingly strong top order, Pant would be there. I think Pant would be there as a kind of a of, a, of an opening bat or a number three, but... Their top three is so sewn up uh, that they are think the, the the thinking I suppose that they're trying to kind of buttress that middle and and get it done based on based on kind of smarts and pragmatism yeah. and knowing your way around those those high pressure games. Yeah, and, Pant and is still yeah, a kid, yeah. you know, yeah. it will be a, That's it. And, and Pant did have it, it, he, he did have an opportunity in Australia, didn't he? In the one day is there, but didn't quite grasp it. So you could say but, yeah, that was yeah, them trying but, to but give but him. Even then, they gave him two matches at the end of the series, and you'd have thought, oh, I'd have given him, I'd have given him. And they were t- they've played ten matches against Australia, haven't they? Ten ODIs, five at home, five away, and he got two of them. And you think. I'd, I'd have given him the 10, you know, almost if you can play Kartik as well, because he is their future. So you almost feel like the decision kind of almost wasn't made now. The decision's been made then. And, and Kartik does have a good record as a finisher, like the number of games where he's not out, and they're chasing a score and he's not out and he's got them over the line. You know, he does do that. And yeah. again, that is a skill set and that is not necessarily, a, you know, yeah. Yeah, we don't know. We, we're I would have put him in the squad. He just seems such a talent, but you can yeah. see their, think, their thought process. I think they've got eight or nine top quality bats anyway, you know, I think we can argue the, the pant toss one way or the other. What's interesting for me, looking at that squad, they've got three seamers plus Pandya, you know, who is a useful medium pacer, but nothing more than that. Um, if one, and Shankar. And Shankar as well, who's another well, kind of fill-in medium actually, pacer. As well, isn't he? Um, yeah. But Bhuvi Kumar struggled over here uh, last time India were here. He's, he's not gone great in the IPL. Um, he was irresistible in 2014 over here. But uh, if he doesn't fire then they are light in the seam bowling department. And they've, they've gone with, with two out-and-out spinners in Chahal and Kuldeep, who are both brilliant wrist spinners, one left, one right. Um, and they are probably banking on them. You know, the pitches being slightly un, un-English, you know, and there not being much rain around and so on. But I think they are a bit light in that seam bowling department, looking at the squad on paper. Um, it's a terrifyingly talented one. And for what it's worth, that's where my, my money is yeah. with, with India. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I would have thought they would have tried to find another out and out quick. You know, Yadav potentially, um, Siddharth possibly, Siddharth Call. You know, who's bowling well in the IPL. As it stands, they've got three seamers and a, and a couple of medium paces. That that might be the possible weak link in their squad. But we shall see. Probably won't be. Alison, you talked about them earlier on. Australia, uh, I guess the headline there is they've left out Josh Hazelwood. Uh, they've also left out Peter Hanscom, who very recently scored a sensational 100 against India. Uh, left out Ashton Turner, who also played a massive role in that win. Um, and I guess they've, they've, only, they've only picked one wicketkeeper. Yeah, well, I suppose. Risky. Yeah, the, the, the problem. Yeah, the thing is with wicket keepers, isn't it? Is what if they do go down on the morning of a game? You all know, you know, you can get an injury replacement. But um, 
Hanscom is, yes, he, he, he is, it goes, goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about Archer and com, com, competition for places and we've got guys coming back in who makes way and Hanscom was what, averaging sort of 40, 43, 48 in, in 2019 and a strike rate right up there as well. So he's, he's done a brilliant job but finds that he's the full guy to accommodate Steve Smith who hasn't yet sort of set the world alight on his return. I mean Warner is obviously sitting at the top of the run charts for the IPL but Smith's sort of taking a little bit longer to come back from his injury um, on his return to the game. So the the decision to leave out Josh Hazelwood certainly feels like it is one eye on, okay, is he quite ready now? But then a bigger eye on, well, let's make sure he's definitely ready for the Ashes. But saying that, they've still got an attack of Stark, Cummins, Jai Richardson, the man who owns a plot of land on the moon, which is for always going to be the way, the way I'm going to describe him. I've um, not heard that one. What's that? Oh, yeah. oh, Jai Richardson. He owns a plot of land on the moon. This was one of the fascinating facts we learned about him when I was over working for Seven. So, sorry, <laughs> how how did he secure that? It was uh, it was it was gifted to him by his brother as a birthday present. I mean, he's not sure that it has a postcode per se. <laughs> he's not sure of the exact value of this plot of land on the moon, but he's got a certificate <laughs> which and, and, says he owns. And anyone can buy a plot of land on the moon. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a website for everything. <laughs> Adam Zampa got a goat farm, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, so they've still got and, and they've got Nathan Coulter-Nile in their yeah. squad as well, haven't they? So he he can you know add quick runs lower down the order yeah. as well if required. So you know the Aussies do annoyingly from you know an English perspective, you'd say annoyingly, but they seem to have been peaking in a sort of extraordinary way, given that they lost Smith and Warner. Quite how that dynamic will now shift mm. with them both coming back in is going to be one of the fascinating parts of this World Cup. Yeah, and the, the thing about Steve Smith as well, it's I thought interesting is even before the sandpaper, sandpaper gate or whatever. Um, I remember he played against he played in that ODI series after the Ashes, so just before uh, the, the Cape Town Test, and England won that four four one that that series, and Steve Smith looked like he was playing a much older brand of ODI cricket. And I remember thinking at the time, you feel like he's got to play because he is Steve Smith. But is he? There was a, one match I was watching where he was on sort of I don't know forty off of fifty balls, and you were thinking, don't get him out, <laughs> let him keep let him keep batting, <laughs> because he just wasn't getting going. And I don't know. I think even even you know take the ban out of the equation, is 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 he is he that modern modern ODI player? Now look, he's a great great cricketer as Justin Langer said he's one of the all-time greats obviously you see what they've brought him back he's going to play and he could prove us all wrong but I, I don't know he just doesn't seem to, to to score runs at that pace that that obviously Coley or, or Root are capable of. I think that's a thought that we have a lot because we're so sport by England so we just we, we're so used to seeing the best team in the world rack up 350 you're almost surprised if England bat 50 overs and don't get more than 330 340 and I kind of think that Actually, if you England bats so deep, they're basically back to eleven that, that England batsmen are allowed to take the risk. And maybe other teams, you know, look at Australia. Alex Carey, who's the wicketkeeper, he's in about seven. I watched him a lot in the recent Australia-Pakistan series. He doesn't really look like a guy who can take an innings away from you at the end. Like teams like Australia, I think they really rely on their top order to bat longer, whereas England's yeah. guys can take more risk. I uh, know, I totally agree with you, and that's why I think the Hanscom and also Ashton Turner are leaving them out. Because if I'm looking back at Australia over the last sort of year, eighteen months. The two guys you'd say played a real modern T20, um, modern ODI innings were Hanscom and Turner in that match at Mahali. Mm. So Hanscom got the century and Turner was like 80 or 40. Uh, and those were innings we were like, yeah, that is the, the, the way the game is being played now. 
so you're dropping those guys and bringing back in Smith. And there have been all the issues with Smith in the back. But, so. but, but let's, let's throw it forward to, yeah. to a semi-final under leaden skies between England and Australia in Edgbaston. And Australia are chasing 290 and Smith bats three or four. Who who do you who do you want if you're an Australian? Who do you not want if you're an England fan? Is probably a better way of doing it. I want to see seventeen Hanscoms walking out for one <laughs> Steve Smith. Yeah, and Smith, I was again the 2015 World Cup. He's a World Cup winner, and he got a century in the semi final against India. And an unbeaten so 60. and an unbeaten sixty to win the final. So in terms of yeah, big match, big match class and a temperament and ability to do it under pressure, absolutely. And yeah, he's probably going to prove, prove me wrong and go out there and which is why Dhoni is also exactly. still there for injuries. And, and win the World Cup for Australia. So you could totally see all that happening, but there must be some sort of tension within their group, mustn't there? There must be. And Langer was saying about Hanscom, he said, oh, he's terribly stiff. I was like, I don't know, do you mean he's like he's injured, you know? <laughs> but I think, it was, yeah, he's terribly stiff means he's, he's terribly upset. Um, yeah, so it was a great Langer interview I don't know if you saw it he said he's terribly stiff but he's a ripper he's a ripper <laughs> it was the most Australian interview ever he's terribly stiff but he's all class and he's a ripper Langer's come up with some really weird Langer interviews is, in the last few I months, love Langer he? interviews and I love reading what he's got to say he just comes out of all sorts yeah, yeah. Um, Phil you've really got it in for Peter Hanscom that's the second time in a row that you've slagged him off um, and, and not got not even used his name when talking to him um, well Next up, let's quickly talk about South Africa. Dave, uh, it was quite simple. Dave got Hashi Mamlin in the score. That was the only real big talking point. Um, Pakistan, as we mentioned earlier, Mohamed Amir is not in the World Cup squad, uh, but he is in their 17-man squad to play England and Ireland. Not Ireland, sorry, just England. Um, so he's kind of got the Joffre Art treatment. If he bowls well in those games, he can get, get back into the squad. Um, I want to talk about the Sri Lanka squad. I think it's it's got to be... Uh, feel free to disagree with me. It's got to be the most outrageous squad announcement in World Cup history. Um, so first of all, their captain, Dimuth Karunaratne, hasn't played an ODI since the last World Cup, averages 15 from 17 ODIs of the bat, has a strike rate under 70. I think it's like if England appointed Gary Balance to their ODI captain. Um, coincidentally, Karunaratne's last ODI is also Gary Balance's last ODI. Um, but that's not even the most ridiculous part of it. He was arrested for drink driving two weeks ago, and now he's been rewarded by being given the captaincy. Um, he's the sixth Sri Lankan captaincy, captain since the start of 2017. Um, of Sri Lanka's five leading run scorers since the last World Cup, only two of them have made the cut, Kusar Mendes and Angelo Matthews. Kusar Mendes, who, by the way, averaged less than 30. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been picked. Um, but there's been no room for Upal Taranga, Dinesh Chandamal and Nirishan Dikwela. Um that's the biggest travesty for me. No Dick Weller. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the, the World Cup for me has just lost a whole whole load of appeal. It's, it's crazy. They've, they've also gone into the squad with no genuine specialist wicketkeeper. Their two wicketkeepers are Kusal Mendes and Kusal Pereira. But coming in, this is I, potentially the most insane bit of it. Tui Romane, who hasn't played in two years, um, not got the most amazing ODR record. Melinda Sirawardner, a 33-year-old batsman who averages 23 and hasn't played in two years. And G-, G Van Mendis, who's 36, got a batting average of 20 from 54 ODIs and hasn't played since February 2015. What is that? <laughs> well, to add to that, that Sri Lanka are the only country in the cricketing world, I believe, whose international sides, their squads have to be signed off by the sports minister, yeah, by the government. Their press release is always that this has been uh, approved by yeah. the Minister of Telecommunications. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Harine Fernando is the sports minister. I met him in, in Australia when they were playing the Test Series over there. He, he is desperate to change that. He sees the craziness. I mean, Im- imagine if before the England World Cup squad announcement was made, 
it had to had to pop into into Westminster, give, given the state of the politics in Great Britain at the moment. Can we just pause the Brexit debates? We need to approve the England World Cup squad. Yeah. But yeah, Sri Lanka cricket is in is in a is in a funny place uh, at the moment. We know that on many levels. But yeah, that is one thing actually. The sports minister wants to change the constitution of Sri Lanka cricket, which is what it's going to take to take the politics away from it. But at the moment, that's still the situation that they're in. I, I suppose just to say one thing, and I do agree with you on that. But Karuna Ratna was captain of the Test side, wasn't he? Of that amazing yeah, victory South against South Africa, Africa, which after they got thumped by um, got thumped by England, obviously in Sri Lanka, and then went to Australia and lost. You were looking at that South Africa match, thinking, "Well, there's another thumping on the cards." That was an astonishing victory. So I suppose you know, just throwing that into the mix, that 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 he has got, he has he's mm. done well there, isn't he? It's a bit mad, isn't it? Sort of being picked picked for a World Cup, having not played an ODI for four years on on captaincy nice. credentials in the yeah, test. Two weeks after he was in court. Um, <laughs> Daisy, what was your moment of the week? So my moment of the week was her Hasib Hamid century against Ray. Middlesex. Yeah, it was really exciting. With a six. Yeah, with a six. Yeah. With a six, and it was great because I've read all of the Phil's articles uh, where he interviewed Paul Allett for Lancashire and all those those articles at the start of the season. Obviously, Hamid averaging nine, was it, with the bat last year? Uh, and only about 20-odd or something the season before. So, I think we all... And then he got those runs against Loughborough in the warm-up match. And I think everyone was hoping that he would he would score some runs and he could do that. So, I thought it was just amazing, the first match of the season, against a, a very good Middlesex attack. It wasn't a, a, a bad attack at all. Um, to see him score a century, get there with a six, was fantastic. Yeah, heartening stuff, right, for everybody concerned with English cricket. Um, There was a couple of things to to pick from it. Firstly, the way that, as you say, the way that he went to that that mark. Um, And it wasn't a short boundary, and there were men out for that shot. But it was almost like in that moment he'd thrown all of the anxieties and the hassles and the pressures of the last two years away and just thought, you know what, I'm just going to trust to, to my own ability through his hands it came out the screws and he brought it up his reaction was gorgeous as well um just one thing let's not discuss Hammy playing for England until maybe this time next year all right let's not even bother I don't, my next question for you Phil I don't, I don't care how many <laughs> runs he still gets haven't got I don't open care <laughs> if he averages 105 uh for, for lengths uh throughout the season I don't care if he makes 800s just let the kid play Remember why he loves the game in the first place. Then he can go on a Lions tour. He might even go on as a spare batsman, maybe maybe to South Africa if he's absolutely torn it up. But let's not worry about that question. England have a number of options. And that kid went through unbearable hell. He averaged 9.4 in 18 completed innings. But if he's scoring runs for you, are quashing all his ambitions no, and no, dreams. No, he might be dreaming of an Ashes need, first. does not need to, to be up, up against Stark, Hazelwood and all the rest in July. Nick off, Nick off and then we're all back to square one. He just, just let the boy play for six months. I, I've got a question, kind of relates to that. Who do you think is the most unselectable player in England right now? So who would have to score like insane amount of runs <laughs> and still not get selected? Um James Hildreth? We're, we're back on the Hildreth. Oh. Yeah, yeah, James Hildreth. Yeah. I go for Ravi Bopara. I feel like if Ravi Bopara yeah, averaged 200 yeah. before the Ashes, I still don't think he'd play. Yeah, I think Ravi as well. I mean, anyone who's a, a bit older, I guess. Yeah, yeah sort of um, been Anyone there, been who's tried sort of been there and been tried, you'd say, ooh, yeah. And then they sort of never yeah. managed to get yeah, there. Yeah, and James like Hildreth, Hildreth. Has been, yeah. I think, has been terribly unlucky. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's you've got a real issue with this county season as well, that... Anyone making runs at one, two, and three has got a massive opportunity. I feel like you're saying that, Phil, or you can average 100 won't in. 
anyone averaging 30 at one, two or three <laughs> is going to be on the selector's radar. But the flip side of that is anyone averaging 80 at four, five and six. Like I look at Ollie Pope and I look at all of Surrey's middle order, some great guys there. And you're like, well, Ollie Pope, yeah, he's played two test matches, but I'm just looking at the England setup at the minute and think, well, how does he get in and get another game? Because England are so top heavy with really good fours, five, sixes, sevens, eights. We don't have anyone at one, two, three. And then you also then doubly don't want to be bringing in someone new at four, five, six if you've also got new guys at one, two, three. So for me, it feels like you're going to have to do phenomenally well at four, five and six if you want to break into this team. And you don't have to do that well at one, two and three. And I, uh, that, that just feels to me the reality of, of, of how it is at the minute. Yeah, which explains why Vince now is opening at Hampshire. Absolutely. Why Jason Roy is batting at three um, once he gets past his hamstring, which should be by next week. That's where the opportunities are. For, for Surrey. It, it's another weird example of common sense breaking out in English cricket. You know, when we were growing up, what we never used to have this. You know, It was always topsy-turvy and back to front. But now... You know, good sense prevails. They recognise where the where the issues are, where the where the the openings are, and they're putting their they're suggesting quite heavily to their next in lines. That that's where you need to go and bat uh, to get the job done. It's it's good to see. It's going to be fascinating, and we're going to bore ourselves silly discussing that first first test squad. Uh, but Yaz is trying to steal the microphone <laughs> from my hand. So well, I'm going to give you three names of guys who've started the season really well. Um, one of them is Dom Sibley. He's now scored five first-class hundreds in his last five first-class games. That was in Warwick's loss against Kent this week. Um, Sam Northeast at Hampshire, in all competitions, his last five innings are 118, 169, 99, naught, and 105, not out. And Gary Balance. Gary Balance's 300 is in his last three first-class games and got 150-odd off the 130 balls yesterday for Yorkshire in the Royal London One Day Cup. Um yeah, people. There's a trend. People are actually scoring runs this year. Last year, you know, if you average 35, that was that was massive. But now, actually, in the first two rounds of the county championship, there have been uh, 12 or 13 scores of 400 plus. In 2018, there are only six in the first two rounds of the championship. Northamptonshire have already scored as many county championship hundreds in the first round or first two rounds as they did in the entirety of the last season. Um, runs are easy to come by. How much of this is to do with the pitches and the weather, which has been you know, nicer this time of the year and mild? Well, I say it's been pretty chilly, but it hasn't been wet mm. and, and miserable thus far, has it? Um, versus, and I can't remember, have we, have we talked about this yet on the recordings? We were talking about it before we started, have we? The balls. Yeah. The Dukes, which have apparently ECB have, have asked for the seam to be a little bit less pronounced. But then I read the rep- a report from Lawrence Booth saying that yeah, they've asked for this season's batch of balls to be used in the county championship to be a bit less pronounced, but then they were hoping to use in the Ashes last year's batch of Dukes with the more Genius. pronounced seam, <laughs> and they realise that they don't have enough left. <laughs> that I, 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 I'm not casting aspersions on Lawrence's journalism. I just can't. Is that an April Fool? Like, I, can't, I cannot believe that's the case. And surely I, I need to check in with, 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 with Dilip Jajoja at Dukes about this, but I'm sure that he will be producing a batch of test balls with a sort of ordinary seam, if you like, for, for the ashes. But what my understanding is as well with those hand stitch balls as well, that the levels of tolerance that are worked to are, are so sort of minimal that if a request does come in to have a, you know, lower than, I suppose, normal seam, it's, it would be such a minuscule sort of uh, amount that I can't believe that that is just the, the reason why bat seems to be dominating ball in the early mm. season. I, it feels as if it's it would be more to do with more favourable conditions and spinners taking you know a lot of wickets, yeah. aren't they? Which sort of tallies with that. Jack Jack Leach took six for thirty six 
uh, we're still in April. Uh, Glenn Maxwell took a Fifer bold Lancashire to victory at Lords. Um, I think wh- whatever the reason it is for for runs being scored, it's just good to see proper first class scores, isn't it? Like we, we've been so used to in recent years of scores of 150 plays, 130 plays, 170, and a 210 wide team is match winning. And I think it's good. Um, I think it'll be easier as well for selectors to to see the really standout bowlers in county cricket if you're if you're earning, if you're getting wickets now early season you're really earning it the pitches aren't that favorable they're not as favorable as they have been in the past but also it's good for the batsman too because you feel like when you have those low scores a batsman can think oh well, i get a 30 40 and that's a really yeah, key match winning innings <laughs> and so actually now you're thinking well no 30 40 is not gonna be enough if you're in you've got to go in and get get 100 get a big 100 yeah, uh, which, is obviously, yeah, which is obviously more like it is in test matches and more of what, what England needs. So I think it's good for the for the bowlers and for the batsmen. Yeah. We've been somewhat fortunate in the, the early part of the season here. It, conditions are more akin to, you know, a little more what we'll have in the, the height of the summer, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I kind of mentioned it. The, the first round of the Royal London One Day Cups already happened. Um, some, some really, really boring one-side games, unfortunately. Um, like all of them? Yeah. <laughs> just a team batting first getting 300 and the team batting second oh, sorry Eight, 88. 88 yeah that was extraordinary you look at the number of test players in that Surrey lineup. <laughs> um Matt Parkinson Claxon he took Pfeiffer uh, I, I'm obsessed with him <laughs> did he break his jaw uh, no that was me a few was years you? back yeah. no, are you sure I, I thought Hang Matt on, you broke his jaw he no I didn't break <laughs> his jaw <laughs> no no whenever I met him we got on fine I was asking no more questions <laughs> No, look, I've, I've bored people on, on this show before about Matt Parkinson. I'm just desperate to see him develop. I think he's a very special talent, leg spinner. Um, he's obviously critical to Lancashire's one-day form already, um, but he's 22 years young. Um, I want to see him play a lot more four-day games this year and see where he ends up, you know. I think if, if Adil took 10 years to master his art, if you were to give Matt Parkinson another six or seven years, take him up to his late 20s, I think you're talking about a serious, serious talent there. How do you compare it to Mason Crane? So there's a lot of hype about Crane prior to his England call-up, but that's kind of subsided a little bit. Do you think that Parkinson is substantially further ahead than Crane? Uh, I think Crane is probably more recognised as a four-day player for Hampshire than Parkinson is for Lancashire. Um, I like I like Crane's approach. I thought he stuck at it at Sydney in that horrifying test match that I was there for. You'd have been there as well, Ali, right? When it was 50 degrees on day three or four, 50 degrees. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and he was like one for 170 or something, poor kid. But he got Kawaja out about half a dozen times. He looked, he stuck at it brilliantly, but he clearly wasn't ready for that level. Um, He's done some good stuff in one day cricket. Uh, I prefer watching Parkinson. I think Parkinson is a more exuberant bowler. Uh, Parkinson has a more... Uh, potent looking action to me uh, compared to Crane. Crane is a more will-o'-the-wisp kind of spinner. A bit more like Rashid, to be honest. Um, Whereas Parkinson is quite burly. He's got strong hands, big shoulders. Um, uh, He has the bearing of a Warren um, and he has the kind of the bounce in his action of a Yassir Shah. I like that combination. I like the fact that he attacks middle and leg. Um, Crane will hopefully have a very good career, but I'm more excited by Parkinson in truth. Um, well, thank you very much all for coming on the show. Daisy, Alison, Phil, really enjoyed it. Um, listeners, if you enjoyed it, if you're listening for the first time, subscribe, tell your friends and share it on the internet. Goodbye, see you next week.
Sports Social Podcast Network.